to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. So far, I hope you have enjoyed the first two episodes in our three-part series on the future of sponsorship. And so in this episode, same again, part three, the final one in this series, we're going to ask some new guests the same questions and gather some contrasting, but also at times some reinforcing views around what you've already heard on the future of sponsorship. I've had lots of really positive feedback from the first two episodes in this series, and so I hope this one provides lots of great value to you as well. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you are listening to episode 102, brought to you by Core Software. It's great to have you listening to the show. Shout-out time, and just the one shout-out this time around, but also... I suppose it's a little bit of a group shout out as well. So Daryl Page, Senior Executive Partnerships at Liverpool Football Club, connected with me on LinkedIn and said, a couple of my colleagues recommended the podcast to me. It's been a great listen. Daryl, great to hear from you. And I hope all is well in Liverpool. And of course, I suppose it should also be a shout out to Daryl's colleagues for not only listening to the show, but also suggesting that you listen as well. So it's great to have you all on board. Might be about time we had someone from Liverpool FC on the show. What do you think, Daryl? I'll be in touch. If you'd like a shout-out as well, please connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hi, and I'll give you a shout-out on the next episode. It is as easy as that, and I really do love hearing from you. Okay, let's start to hear from the guests. And now, across this three-part series, we hear from those on the rights holders, brands, and agency sides about how they think the future of sponsorship is shaping up. They've all been asked the same six questions, and I've edited up to be a roundtable of sorts. So once again, like the previous two episodes, in this episode, I'll let you know the question I've asked, and then you'll hear the different answers to that one question before I'll then move on to the next question. In this episode, we welcome Stuart Ramsey, Head of Brand Partnerships at British Olympic Association, Catherine Butterworth, MasterCard's Marketing Director, Consumer, Partnership and Sponsorship Marketing, Australasia, Michael Israel, Senior Account Director, Client Consulting and Services at GMR Marketing, Mark Thomas. Thompson, co-founder at Sports Rights Tech, and then our very own Jordan Rutner, research manager and also co-host of Behind the Business of Sports podcast at Core Software. So if you haven't checked out our other podcasts, be sure to head along to the resources section at coresoftware.com or just search for Behind the Business of Sports in your favorite podcast player. You will not be disappointed. To start, as always, an icebreaker question. And they've all been asked the same one as the previous guests. What has been your favorite ever sponsorship campaign or piece of sponsorship creative? And I did let them nominate something that they've worked on themselves that they're really proud of, or it could be something that they've admired from afar and really, really loved and were impressed by. Here's Stuart Ramsey, Head of Brand Partnerships at British Olympic Association. It's close to home. I wasn't directly involved in it, but in and around it. And that was the P&G Thank You Mum campaign for the Olympic Games. It was just a, a, an amazing use of the event, London 2012, and the lead up to it and afterwards. It was genuinely telling an authentic story that also was genuinely global. A lot of the challenges top partners in the Olympic world have is how do you tell a story that's as relevant in South Africa, as it is in Chile, as it is in Beijing. And they just executed this so well. They are able to be able to tell this story in those key markets. They did it across, I believe, around 30 different countries all at the same time, above the line across TV, then all through digital. And it just told the real story that 
you know, what these Olympians go through so well. And it was so relatable to everybody. And it just really conjured up that amazing goodwill and great feeling you have when you watch the Olympic Games. And it just felt like, you know, P&G um, really got a sense of we're an ever-present brand in your life. We're here. And, and not to say that, that, you know, they are as part of a family as any other members then sort of supporting you. I just got that really good feel factor from it and a really good feeling towards the PNG brand. And so it was just this fantastic execution that I think what also was great about it is that it can stand the test of time. So it was a it was a sponsorship and creative that is as relevant today as it was eight, nine years ago. And, and it's still going to be relevant. So they could actually tap into that at any point and it could still be relevant. So I think that's, for me, was just why it was so poignant and, and so really fantastic. And now Catherine Butterworth, MasterCard's Marketing Director, Consumer, Partnerships and Sponsorship Marketing, Australasia. For me, from the work that I have worked on, I would say AO 2020, partly because it was the last pre-COVID thing we did. <laughs> So that just holds a special place in my heart. As a tech company, but as a B2B tech company, it was a really interesting activity that we ran because we ran, we had an on-site escape room where fans had like six minutes to navigate their way through a virtual underground complex. So um, the walls were interactive and there were three different challenges all around MasterCard payment technology and you could win tickets to the final. It was really fun for fans and to really communicate that B2C layer. And we had this really cute PR initiative which was the MasterCard Innovation Challenge. So kids could like table ideas on how to make the world a better place with innovations, which was so sweet. And we had the best pitch panel for kids. It was super, that was really fun. We did a hackathon with a uni and we did like innovation smart cities hosting. So we just had this amazing program that was able to do a lot of technology for different audiences. So I loved that one. So it wasn't like one piece of like, here's my campaign line. It was just a lot of ways to bring technology and what we do to life for different people in the tennis environment, which was really quite fun. That was just more the integrated kind of piece that I really enjoyed and also pre-COVID. In terms of international work or other work, the one that I saw in recent times that resonated with me because it was something that dealt with a lot of the sort of values that MasterCard has was the Microsoft Super Bowl piece with Katie Sowers. Like being able to use the Super Bowl in general, such an incredible advertising moment, right? And they used um, a Super Bowl assistant coach as their talent to highlight, you know, how she's bringing breaking barriers. And it was a product message, but not about sport products, which was really interesting for me because I'm like, you're talking at the most, like the highest reach sport moment in the world. And you're taking a product message. It's not about sport, but it's totally enshrined by sport and was relevant to how Katie runs her her practice sessions and her coaching. And I loved that because it was like, it was relevant to the kind of zeitgeist of empowerment and women. And it was about actually putting a product somewhere relevant, which like I just spoke about that with our stuff, right? Like for me, that really resonates when you have a relevant product moment. And it was fan relevant because it was about how she's making the sport that they love better, right? Like she's really engaged in that sport and she's making her team better. So I loved that. Like that for me was like all the things. So that was very exciting. And, and Microsoft have done so many, um, so many pieces with the Surface and the tablet technology. But this one I felt was like, they really nailed the way of using the product in everyday life that was meaningful. So I loved that one. Next to answer is Michael Israel, Senior Account Director, Client Consulting and Services at GMR Marketing. The one that comes to mind is one that I love and is probably mentioned the most to other people in the last year, and it's Burger King sponsorship with Stevenage FC. 
For those that don't know, Burger King decided to sponsor one of the lowest ranking soccer clubs in England, League Two, uh, Stevenage FC. Burger King was, was not really looking at the club for their on-field performance, obviously, but um, as the team was uh, was in the bottom tier and you know bottom uh, bottom team of the bottom tier, but they partnered with them for their their reach in uh, FIFA of the video game. So after Burger King became a jersey partner, they created the Stevenage Challenge, where fans could compete on FIFA to win Burger King menu items. So in order to win, people had to go online, uh, complete one of their online challenges, and then share the victory on social media. It was especially fun that the brand also encouraged fans to create a fantasy team in FIFA's career mode. And then they had people sign high-profile players like Messi and Neymar to Stevenage FC. These players that would obviously never actually be associated with the club or with Burger King, but by having the star players join the team online, the players were virtually wearing the Burger King brand through their jersey sponsorship. Uh, and the results from, from the deal were, were really positive. The campaign, I, I think it only lasted a couple of weeks, but Stevenage became one of the most played teams on FIFA's career mode, which is pretty astonishing. And then on social media, they got more than 25,000 goals in the Burger King jersey that were shared online and over 1.2 billion impressions. Uh, they had so much success with that, actually, that they they sponsored the the women's team for Stevenage FC, and they they created a Burger Queen logo that they put on the the team kits, and they rebranded the only Burger King location in Stevenage into a Burger Queen. I really like it. It's it's just it's super fun. It's super memorable. Low cost for a brand like Burger King, high rewards, and it's just one of those things that you just you kind of get it when you hear about it. It's smart. Everyone gets a smile. Um, you like it, and uh, ultimately, that's a lot of what you look after for when you uh, when you're thinking of an out of the box sponsorship deal. Mark Thompson, co-founder at Sports Rights Tech, gave this answer. Oh, I've got two, and one is one I've worked on, and one is just an old school one that really drove me to understanding activation within sponsorships. So my first one was a, a VB. Um, beer campaign in Australia where they had little boonie dolls. Every time you bought a case of beer, you got a cricket a cricket boonie doll, like a little bobblehead, and people stuck them on their dashboard and stuff. And, and that, for me, was the first experience I had of a real tangible activation of a partnership. So they'd obviously bought the rights to be the beer partner of cricket, and then David Boone was a synonymous beer drinker um, and an Australian cricket star and and you know using him as the sort of little widget you got when you bought a case of beer was really cool and uh and and it sort of aligned two different brands together in a really unique way and then my other one was that i worked on was we we had a partnership with deloitte at the brumbies and we did a deloitte experience weekend where we had all deloitte's key partners themselves came in, did a training session with the, the coaching staff, got to sit in the team meeting where they selected and announced the team for that weekend. They all got a jersey, got to go to the match in the team bus, and then we did a corporate box situation. And what that did was, you know, Deloitte got to give a really good money can't buy experience to their key clients. But for us as, a, as an organisation, it also introduced us to, you know, 30 of Australia's biggest companies to then start to build and create relationships with as well. So that that sort of drove a couple of objectives for both us and Deloitte together to to result in some really good outcomes for both parties. And finally, Jordan Rutner, Research Manager at Core Software. Oh, my, my favourite ever sponsorship campaign is definitely 
a it was a joint effort with General Mills with their cinnamon toast crunch cereal brand and also with the Miami Marlins and Minnesota Twins baseball teams. So this one's a, a little bit older, not and not too much older. It was during COVID, so during the 2020 baseball season and without fans in the stands, a lot of the sports that were going on were allowed to have billboards and tarps with their sponsors logos over the fields. Well, General Mills with Cinnamon Toast Crunch took it a step further and they actually had cardboard cutouts of the actual squares of the cereal. So the crazy squares that you see on the boxes with uh, the faces and everything, it looked like they were in the stands watching a Marlins game, watching a Twins game. And it just added a a little bit of levity to the whole situation of not being able to play with anybody and uh, just seeing something in the stands that resonated with, with your childhood, with, you know, one of your favorite breakfasts of the day. So that, that was definitely a cool one to watch. Then we moved into the serious topics about the future of sponsorship, and I asked the group, what new skills or existing skills that will need significant development do you think sponsorship professionals on the rights holder's side will need in five to ten years' time, i.e. that they aren't that prominent now, but they will be in the future? Here's Stuart Ramsey, Head of Brand Partnerships at British Olympic Association. Understanding data throughout the entire organisation is going to be key. Not just rolling out the intern that has just studied, you know, an overseas MIT degree or getting, you know, an ex-analyst that's decided to have a change of job. We're talking from the CEO, CMO, chief commercial officer, right down to the intern. Every single level and layer of a rights holder needs to understand, interpret, articulate it, and actually want to embrace data. All too often, and I'll put my hands up, you know, of you say you know data and you think, but but really we're only scratching the surface of it. Yes, we can put up some great numbers around TV viewership or engagement rates, but do we genuinely understand the power of the single customer view, for instance? Do we genuinely understand that you can tell a thousand different stories with the same data set, whether that's in selling to a new business client, whether that's upselling or renewing a current existing client or being able to choose the right products or uh, activations that the fans are genuinely wanting to engage with. It's all well and good putting a logo on player of the month, but unless you truly understand that if that is what fans actually want, engage with, and and the data backs it up, then it's just another thing to badge and it doesn't actually add any value. So I think that's what's really got to be ingrained in the whole level of business. And, and what you often find, and again, we'll do this, we'll sit in a room, we'll be really creative, we'll try and come up with these great activation ideas, but it's not rooted in the hard data that is telling us that our audience want this or want that or when and how they want to consume. And I think that is going to be a skill set that is everybody is going to have to need to embrace. And that's both internal you know, and external. So what is the data internally doing at businesses, you know, not just consumers? I, I truly believe that Sports sponsorship that can be a total business solution. It can be as relevant to the sales director, to the marketing director, as it is to the HR director. And all of those have different data and touch points, both internally and externally. And I think that is what rights holders have to really understand is, is you know, look at anywhere from, let's just take HR, 
anywhere from looking at a recent M&A of two brands together. I don't know, let's just take OVO and SSE, for example. What is the data that that is telling you from trends before on the types of life cycles of when people are, it could be made redundant, or new products being launched, or new brand campaigns being coming out of a recent M&A? And how do you use that data to time when you approach them, how you approach them, and when you approach them? But also, um, do you approach them with a slightly different narrative? You know, that OVO and SSE, do you go to them with a property that is about binding the staff together? You know, creating a property or something unique in your sponsorship portfolio that can say, well, look, I can take your OVO staff and your SSE staff and make them feel genuinely part of a team by using this sponsorship as a platform. Tick for the HR, that's fantastic. And then you can talk about everything else. So. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's interpreting all levels of data up and down the the entire rights holder organogram, as it were. And now, Catherine Butterworth, Mastercard's Marketing Director, Consumer, Partnerships and Sponsorship Marketing, Australasia. User experience and partnership over service, if that makes sense. So when I say that from a user experience point of view, I mean beyond how fans engage with the property now, like how they buy tickets or how they, you know, buy food at the event but actually how sponsors and the products and services of sponsors form part of that journey always on, when an event's live, when it's not. So the rights holders provide sponsors like an organic integrated role that's actually meaningfully part of how fans engage with the property rather than a separate brand activation supplier role. So basically really creating that integrated space that sponsors are really part of and they actually are a meaningful part of the event. An additional layer to that is the role for the brand in the property supports opportunities to find truly credible roles that makes the budgets go further. So unsurprisingly that I'm saying budget, right? But the more integrated in an organic way you can be in an event, it actually reduces wastage because you're not recreating or forcing a moment or creating a wayfinding that, that forces a fan to a certain place. You're actually presenting yourself where it makes sense for the fan to see and experience you. So from a budget point of view, that's super meaningful. COVID has been incredibly tough on everybody in different ways and other people more than others and other organisations more than others. For us to make sure that there is a real budget efficiency, that's that's going to be really supported by that. And that's where user experience and having partnership managers or account managers really have that user experience understanding as they work within their organisations to support sponsors is really, I think, going to be really important. And I think we'll also build on the partnership component between rights holders and, and agencies and sponsors. So for us, and we, we lean really hard into our agencies and our rights holders, we, we expect a lot and we work really hard with them to deliver amazing things and you know, extract the maximum, the maximum potential of anything we sponsor. But where everyone in the, in the relationship understands the brand and the business and its goals, and when they're committed to bringing that to life, that's the sort of magic space, right? Because it takes a long time for that partnership to grow, but it's really strong when it happens and it's critical when like a pandemic happens because you're already already in it together and you understand why you're there and what it's achieving and you can demonstrate that, report on that and reinforce that um, and really make that part of the event. That's where it's going to really create an efficiency and, and a sort of obvious reason to continue in that space. So for us, that's going to be delivering user experience, the partnership and the budget efficiencies all tied up for me in that user experience space. Next to answer is Michael Israel, Senior Account Director, Client Consulting and Services at GMR Marketing. It's not a new skill, but I would say creativity 
Uh, obviously, as a skill, it's not new, but sponsorship professionals will really have to evolve their creativity to solve new age problems, probably more so in the past. Uh, we're obviously already at the point where the concept of a standard or traditional asset package is gone because everything needs to be bespoke and custom to the sponsor and their brand objectives. But now sponsorship professionals need to be even more creative minded to evolve with the, the changing landscape uh, of the industry. Uh, this includes finding new ways to connect with the younger audience. Uh, we know that this younger audience is more conscious of the brands they engage with and can sniff out brands when they consider them inauthentic or, or fake in the space. I think it also is creative in keeping properties relevant year round. And, and the great example we saw with COVID, which teams were able to stay relevant when there were no games taking place. And frankly, a lot of teams struggle to help sponsorships without the benefit of live games. So moving forward, it'll really be necessary to have creativity in designing relevant and engaging virtual events, digital activations, storytelling, content marketing, and building a strong brand identity for properties to really deliver meaningful activations across the yearly calendar. And creative thinkers will be the ones who continue to thrive and ultimately provide the most value back to the brands they work with. Mark Thompson, co-founder at Sports Rights Tech, gave this answer. I think a really decent understanding of technology is going to be really important for, for, for multiple reasons, though. One, just the use of technology to be able to sell, service and report on partnerships is, is going to be a must and, and a skill that all employees must hold. But also um, the, the sort of use cases of technology and how that impacts rights and what you can sell and how you can monetize those rights. I mean, you look at NFTs and things as well. And if you don't have an understanding around what that tech can do, it's not just about moments in games, right? There are, there are many, many ways that the blockchain technology and, and the NFT world can service a business in terms of ticketing, in terms of memorabilia, in terms of broadcasts, in terms of behind the scenes type activity that, that actually can really streamline and normalize um, the way you operate and help you make money. So I think that sort of understanding of tech as well as being able to use it is going to be super important. And finally, Jordan Rutner, Research Manager at Core Software. I think I'm a little bit biased saying this, but I do think that we are still approaching the golden age of data and analytics. And it doesn't necessarily need significant development or improvement, but I think being able to read and understand what these numbers and trends are pointing towards is going to be part of everyday life. It, they're so much easier to generate now and they're easier to get a hold of if that's going to be through um, and outsourcing it, doing it in-house uh, and getting your hands on anything that even could be free. Information like that is just so much easier to come across and that's only going to improve in the future as well. It'll help with decision-making more than anything too. If you have more people that are looking at the same metrics, you should be able to reach a decision faster and be able to spend a little bit more time strategizing rather than making those decisions. Lifting up the focus, I then asked, what is the biggest challenge facing the sponsorship industry in the next five to 10 years? A nice big broad one for them there. Here's Stuart Ramsey, Head of Brand Partnerships at British Olympic Association. It's around embracing data and technology to create genuine, authentic partnerships whether it's with rights holders, but, but not just partnerships, create great relationships 
with their consumers and all the rights holders brands as well. I think, you know, we already know that the move to digital is already well on its way. It means that we can measure everything. We can arguably personalize the experience a lot easier. And I think really embracing this data and technology is going to be really important. And, and if we look at it from from a couple of tables here. So, you know, from the rights holder, how are we creating a better fan experience for the future? So let's not forget that in five, 10 years time, it is going to be, you know, the Gen Z and Gen Alphas that are gonna be, I think in the next 10 years, you know, Gen Z, Gen Alpha will make up about 45% of the population, right? So that is an, not an insignificant amount of, of people that is going to be your target for sport and, and sponsorship. So therefore, we have to get started moving now to really be able to embrace them. We're already seeing this in, you know, a lot of tech companies that are coming into sport ready that we know that Gen Z and Gen Alpha will, will absolutely embrace technology at the heart of all of their experiences. You know, they will have, everything will be on demand, as we already know, it's it, it's getting there. Everything will need to be personalized. And so therefore, the sponsored industry is going to need to be able to adapt to that uh, and the way in which people want to experience sports. You know, that's anywhere from making the fan experience in the stadiums and an augmented experience. Gone will be the days, not entirely, but I think in its mass of a load of people crowding around a cheap flat screen in a pub, waiting until 10 to 3 on a Saturday afternoon showing TV adverts. You know, the Gen Z, Gen Alpha will want to go to stadiums for meeting and social spaces. They will want to be there and have offered a personalized experience. You know, they want to be able to interact with data and technology that is going to add to an entire experience, not just for 90 minutes of a football game. And as such, brands are going to have to be able to adapt to that changing landscape. But the key thing to this is, yes, data and technology is fantastic, but the partnerships from a brand's point of view, they're going to need to be genuinely authentic. What you find in this Gen Z and Gen Alpha is that they will not take brand slapping logos on things without a real story or purpose. They just won't have it. And so you're going to need to make sure the right brands are sponsoring the right type of experiences and are actually giving the fans something they actually want. Because otherwise, they will switch off because everything will be at a fingertips wanting. I can switch this on and switch it off whenever I like. I can experience it and demand it whenever I like. And therefore, the moment that anything is not fitting into that, they're going to they're going to switch off and if they think that an insurance company sponsoring player of the match is you know is unauthentic boom they're not going to vote they're not going to give you your data they're not going to stick around and suddenly the value of what could have been really good is is completely diminished so i think that's going to be really really important that not only is embracing this data and technology to optimize experiences but making sure authenticity is the very very heart of it and now, Catherine Butterworth, MasterCard's Marketing Director, Consumer, Partnerships and Sponsorship Marketing, Australasia. So it's going to be recovery from the pandemic. So even though we're going to all get over and past mentioning COVID, the last 18 months has thrown the sponsorship industry into like a, an incredible disarray and a really unfortunate one. And there's been a lot of um, people out of work and there's been a lot of changes and structures of how sponsorships are running because of just, you know, the economics and the and the actual participation environment for, for sport and for events. I think 
there is a role for sponsorships over the next five to 10 years and for sponsors, as I said, as genuine partners, partnership goes two ways, is to support rights holders and agencies recover because that sponsorship investment isn't just about an event happening. It's about the infrastructure of the event and how that supports the community and the retention and development of the talent as well as how we bring events to life and what amazing things we can do in that space. And for me, I take that quite seriously as someone who works in sponsorship, that what I represent and the ability I have to influence for the positive people's ability to, to train, develop, become greater talent and to be um, well supported with the industry here is a really significant one. The other piece that's interesting for me is how COVID's sort of made everyone reevaluate what matters. So, and that's, you're seeing that all around the world in really different ways, whether that's people, you know, changing jobs or looking at how they spend time with their family or whatever that is. But I think when you look at how properties respond to what matters to people now and connecting with them authentically in a different way, that will really be the properties that thrive. Those ones that are able to really pick up on that and understand that that has evolved and that people expect different things. Next to answer is Michael Israel, Senior Account Director, Client Consulting and Services at GMR Marketing. The biggest challenge facing the sponsorship industry in the near future, specifically on the, on the brand side, is, is demonstrating value and real tangible business impact back to the C-level executives who are, who are signing these deals. Obviously, as marketing dollars are, are more scrutinized, brands need to prove their sponsorships are helping break through the clutter, demonstrating tangible value back to the business. With technology and data advancements, we're moving past vanity metrics of eyeballs and impressions. Sponsorships really need to be justified through real sales impact and brand lift measurement. Particularly for, for me and what I've seen is it's always been difficult to measure value of a B2B sponsorship. And I think those who really crack the code on how to accurately show the value of these deals are going to be very successful. And, and ultimately, it's the properties and brands that measure tangible business who will be the ones getting executive sign-off on new investments. Mark Thompson, co-founder at Sports Rights Tech, gave this answer. Probably flexibility. You know, a lot of people are stuck in, and, and not stuck just in a mental sense, but actually stuck contractually and things in old antiquated ways of thinking and doing stuff. So change management is probably the biggest challenge that, that's ahead of the industry in, in terms of being able and willing to move with the times. COVID has, has probably brought a lot of those things forward in terms of you know changing the way we think, operate and interact with people, both fans and partners and you know internal employees, right? But the but the, the willingness to then use that as an opportunity to reassess and, and adapt to new ways of doing business is probably the biggest challenge. And finally, Jordan Rutner, Research Manager at Core Software. Oh, there's just, there's so much more competition when you look at it, like uh, in that holistic point of view, there's so many more forms of entertainment now than ever. And it's just a competition for eyeballs. Um, the attention span is only going down for the average person. But at the same time, there still needs to be some form of entertainment just for people to go about their day-to-day -day lives. So it's it's capturing that audience and just knowing who you're trying to reach from that holistic point of view. It's a very generic question and answer, but it's going to still come down to figuring out what your messaging is and who you're trying to get involved with. We are often looking for edges and progression and innovation to give our organization a competitive advantage. And so I asked the group what area they considered to have the most potential for development in the sponsorship industry. Here's Stuart Ramsey, Head of Brand Partnerships at British Olympic Association. 
I could talk about sensors and wearables and how we can collect lots of data. And, and is that going to be really interesting? AI, robots, drones, 5G, blockchain, we're seeing absolutely crowd the space now at the moment. But that, you know, is happening. But what I think the real development potentially is around that authenticity piece I, did, I mentioned. And that's around really green initiatives, sustainability, and genuinely protecting our society at large, I think has got the greatest marginal gain to make. Uh, because so often you see these initiatives that are out there, and there's a lot of good ones, but there's a lot of dubious ones that might be put into the greenwashing bag or might be just, we do this because it's a, you know, it's a tick box exercise but it's going to be so important. As we start personally experiencing things that are going on due to climate changes, more flooding, increased heat, you know, lots of different things, it's going to personally affect me every day. And therefore, the people and the experiences that I invest my time and money into, if they're not appreciating that that is important, then I'm going to look, or certainly the Gen Z and Gen Alpha, and that are going to look really down on those on those rights holders and or sponsors. You know, we've got to move away from buying carbon credits. Again, the Gen Z, Gen Alpha and, and, and millennials, you know, they're socially and environmentally engaged. It's all about equality, sustainability and protecting the planet is, is all part of their key perceptions on life. And I suppose it's going to become really, really important. Nothing less than a neutral footprint will be accepted in the future. New stadiums will have to be carbon neutral. They'll have to be fully recyclable. They have to recycle their waste, and they're going to have to find ways to generate their own energy and own water usage and making sure they're not really having a massive impact both on their very local environment, but also as part of the bigger, more larger societal play and responsibility that they have. I think there's so much that this can grow but it's going to be really, really hard. I'm certainly finding it incredibly hard to look at this, uh, only take the Olympics. How do you fly 475 athletes up to Tokyo carbon neutral without some kind of offsetting program? You know, it's really, really difficult. Hopefully it'll be a little bit easier when we only have to travel to Paris. But again, really quite difficult. And there's going to be lots of others. You only have to saw it the, showing the time of this recording here at the weekend uproar of Manchester United flying to Leicester. How, how much more is this sort of behaviour going to be accepted by fans and, and arguably sponsors when they see how fans react? I'm not sure. So I think that's going to be the big, big play. And now Catherine Butterworth, MasterCard's Marketing Director, Consumer, Partnerships and Sponsorship Marketing, Australasia. Potential-wise, I think we've seen in the last, you know, 18 months or so, three, four months, the, the hot house of the digital experience, right, like across the board, um, but also for sponsorship. I think that people now have the expectation that they can be part of an event in more than watching it on broadcast. I think that virtual aspect will continue to evolve, which I'm super excited about. As hard as and very challenging as the pandemic has been, I do enjoy the excitement of the challenges we had and how we had to solve it. So, the event being more than what happens in the physical world, and there's so many ways of exploring that, there is so many ways for rights holders and agencies to bring events to life now that they have wouldn't have had that scope like two years ago, for example. I find that very exciting. So like when we were looking at it in the MasterCard way, we had we had all these invested all this time and resources in the years of the pandemic to explore how you improve fan experience 
when fans can't attend in person, which is such an incredible like problem statement to explore, right? To really get in there and go, okay, how are we going to do that? So our experience platform, which we have, which is the prices.com platform had like a lot of in-person experiences. So you could go and, you know, meet and greet ambassadors or have amazing experiences at an event. Whereas now we have these virtual experiences that connect people with their passions, no matter where they are. And there's all these different layers of how that comes to life. And I think the devolution and like, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the metaverse and how you, ex- how you experience the world at a virtual layer as well as a physical layer. I think the, the exponential opportunity of virtual and hybrid event is going to be amazing, super, super exciting. And there's no end to what you can do in that space. So that's, I think that's really exciting because it takes experiential into a new, a new and more relevant space, which is super cool. Next to answer is Michael Israel, Senior Account Director, Client Consulting and Services at GMR Marketing. Two things come to mind for areas of most potential for development in the sports sponsorship industry, particularly, again, on, on sponsorships in areas and, and people to sponsor. And, and the first, in, in the U.S., the obvious potential is, is the mass legalization of sports gambling. Almost overnight, the sports industry has gone from seeing gambling as a taboo subject, uh, again, in the United States, to a place where now the industry is flooded with major casino and, and gambling right deals. This will also bring new priorities for fans engaging in sports content, which other non-gambling brands can step in to fulfill. And then outside of that, another more global potential for development is, is, is for brands to work with individual athletes who excel as content creators versus the more traditional route of working with established teams and superstar players. So we see that quite clearly again in the United States with the, the new rules allowing college athletes to now have marketing deals and keep their playing eligibility. Uh, of course, the superstar players, we're seeing them get their share of brand deals, but athletes in non-traditional sports who are popular on social media as content creators are really the one who are thriving and cashing in and providing value to brands. So we're seeing the TikTok stars and the YouTube creators who reach millions um, and they're really becoming the new superstar athletes, regardless of if they're the best player on the team or not. Um, ultimately, great content will always be something brands will want to be a part of. And this is another way to create that awesome content. Mark Thompson, co-founder at Sports Rights Tech, gave this answer. Broadcast. I think the days, and we've spoken about this on this podcast over the over the hundred odd episodes, probably half of them, I reckon, that the old school broadcast of just a mainstream broadcast partner is 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 coming to a, a slow and less lucrative death. I think the they will still be important because they, you know, do attract a big audience. But, you know, I think the, the way those deals are structured in the future will provide opportunity for, for data and for the then the commercialization of that data and the rights associated with that will then just help branch out into many different ways in the sponsorship space. So, you know, I think the utilization of data, the monetization of of that and the understanding of rights at the source. So, you know, what I mean by rights at the source is what is the reason and, and what is the party that is the reason that that right exists to be able to sell. Now, right now, broadcast grabs everything, right? But there's certain rights that broadcast holds that don't exist if the club's not there or don't exist if the players aren't there or don't exist if the league's not there, right? And so drilling down to the rights at source and then splitting those out to be sold by the appropriate party and to the appropriate people to reach the appropriate audience that's where we're heading. And finally, Jordan Rutner, Research Manager at Core Software. 
think it's keeping up to date and leveraging just technology and how fans are consuming it. Uh, or by it, I mean how fans are consuming the actual sport and entertainment product itself. How are they watching it? One of the biggest reasons I lean that way is just looking at social media activations, for example. If you're watching an event uh, on your phone versus on TV, it's two very different experiences, and you, want, you might want a different camera angle for one over the other. You might be okay with banner ads or commercial breaks based off of how you're physically consuming it. And as new streaming platforms, new pieces of technology are being developed, even though the game itself and the rules are not necessarily changing, it's still going to be consumed differently. So you want to appeal to those different outlets uh, to make sure that you're getting the right messaging across everybody. Of course, while sponsorship should always be a partnership with all parties benefiting, we can't escape the fact that sponsorships are largely underpinned by brands wanting to achieve an outcome for their marketing. So I asked, if we fast forward 10 years, how would you describe what brands are looking for and what they want out of sponsorship? Here's Stuart Ramsey, Head of Brand Partnerships at British Olympic Association. Being genuinely authentic and genuine in their actions is absolutely key. And coupled with that, heavy personalization is going to be needed. Let's take an insurer, the insurance industry, for example. They can tailor your insurance product to the nth degree. They will take out any minutiae of data that they have on you and will adjust your premium accordingly. But then you will see them advertising in a very unpersonalized way and just putting a logo on a stadium or something. I think that gap will massively come together. And I think brands will, will look to try and take their day-to-day practices and, 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 and have them showcased more and more in their marketing and their sponsorship. That, for me, is going to be key because, again, I, I harp on about the Gen Z and Gen Alphas. They're different generations. Their habits, traits, preferences will have a major impact on the direction of where sports sponsorship will take place. They have access to any data, insight, news. They can learn at any time, any moment, on any device. That means they naturally, as a group, they're growing a lot quicker and learning a lot quicker than we might actually give them credit for. And so, you know, brands are now going to have to be responsible for offering content and experiences whenever and wherever these consumers want it and they've got to be genuine about it they've got to be part of the fabric they have to be trusted you know the brands i believe will have to be responsible for delivering their content and not getting in the way of the content you know you know they have to be woven into it as a consumer they will want thank you insurance company x you have made my experience better through a genuine story or genuine experience or insight that i would never have got from the rights holder or from anywhere else i think that's going to be really really important um and brands will want initiatives and rights and assets that fit their purpose you know again they won't just want to badge these green initiatives or sponsor organizations that don't fit their values or their consumers values you know, they're going to actually want to associate themselves with what they believe in or what their, 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 their company or their product offering is associated with. So offering up, I go back, you know, a player of the month, right? Well, make sure that that's not just given to just a tech company. It has to be given to someone else that's 
that's genuinely associated with it. I also think that it's going to be some difficult for some rights holders, um, but brands will be looking for more global properties. I think going back to consuming content whenever, wherever, and from any part of the world, we're now, we will see these younger generations, they'll be global citizens, not national citizens. And so therefore, you're going to have to think about, you know, these younger people and those that consume sport, you know, will have to be talked on a global level. So I think those rights holders that are genuinely global, their value is only ever going to go up. I think those are massively national based without adopting a global movement is going to be challenging. I will be biased. Yes, the Olympic world, although Team GB is inherently Team GB, it is part of a globally recognized movement amongst the globally recognized values. That will stand the test of time, I truly believe. But I think other rights holders will need to challenge themselves. How do they really talk to this now global unified audience as opposed to I'm just talking to teenagers from UK or I'm talking to older adults from the big five in Europe? And now Catherine Butterworth, MasterCard's Marketing Director, Consumer, Partnerships and Sponsorship Marketing, Australasia. I think it's going to be an evolution of where the consumer expectation has been in recent years. Because brands, just like people, individuals, are looking for alignment. So organisations that they can partner with at a values level, not just an entertainment and scale basis, that's where I think that's going to be the most important thing. Because it allows you the space to create relevant and authentic events and activity that connect with fans and consumers. Previously, you would look at an event and you go, okay, this is the right audience and this is the right kind of people or this is the right kind of scale. Whereas now you're going, are these, is this the event where the things that I care about, like the environment and, you know, supporting women and, you know, girls in tech and things like that, do they reflect those values? And therefore, are we going to create a space where the fans and consumers who are taking part in those events, they also align with that? And I think that's going to become really important. And I think the onus then becomes on the need for continual research to actually understand what that is, right? Because previously, research has been very demographic based, like who and what and where. Whereas... For us, one of the things that we did, um, the global team actually supported with, was um, experience research. So they did this globally, and it was about checking in with cardholders all around the world about what mattered to them. Because the pandemic obviously has been this huge shift for people's mindset. So how do they want? How do they want to experience the world with that experience that's now been influenced by COVID? And what matters to them? And how do they want to experience and do things? So how do we update and evolve our experiences at Mastercard? And so that was a really interesting space for us to kind of continually understand the the really what is that meaningful values level importance for people and what matters to them. And I think on top of that, for us, particularly the need for the 360 brand experience. So for how sponsorships provide opportunities to bring brand to life across sort of multiple resonant brand cues. So whether that's visual, audio, taste, scent, et cetera, like we just, like genuinely when I say that as well, we just released brand scents. So passion and optimism perfumes. We actually released those uh, a couple of weeks ago. So following from the taste of passion and optimism, we released macaroons two years ago. We have the audio, which people are more familiar with now. And we obviously have our symbol. There's that sense of how you bring a brand environment to life and showing how brand is an experience. What I really love about that is the significant space experiential has to play and develop in. And I think experiential was getting, um, was sort of reaching its limits of what it did and the ways it did it. 
Whereas between the hybrid kind of event we spoke about before and this 360 brand experience opportunities, Experiential can have so much to explore now, which is quite exciting because I think you'll see a lot of innovation, which is why, you know, developing talent and finding the right people in the agency and rights holder network to work with you is going to be super important because those meaningful brand experiences with the consumers and fans and rights holders you work with that reflect your values, that's going to be just an incredibly rich moment to have brand experiences and be able to communicate to potential consumers. Next to answer is Michael Israel, Senior Account Director, Client Consulting and Services at GMR Marketing. Brands have and and always will be looking for sponsorships that drive sales metrics. We know that. But just as important, brands will be looking to partner with properties that really align to their core brand values. Part of this, I think, is, is society rethinking the role of sports in our culture. We see leagues, teams, athletes really have powerful platforms that can lead to significant changes in society. Uh, and the athletes in these organizations that make social justice and other car- causes a, a core component of their culture uh, and their brand unlock new potential for sponsorship partners, which is, is really valuable and really impactful really resonates with people. Whether it's mental health causes, social justice, gender equality, it's something that we're kind of already seeing take place and something that will continue to be a large consideration for for brands and who they choose to partner with. I I think a great example of this is Angel City FC. It's a a newer women's soccer team based in Los Angeles, ran by a majority female ownership group, many of whom are celebrities who have this cause close to their, their, their heart, but the team has its brand values at the core of their business and really all that they do. So they, they donate a percentage of all their sponsorship revenue. They partner with brands who are going to actively support the same efforts. They've done a really fantastic job with their sponsorship deals, and they've really made a big impact before they've even set foot on the field. This alignment of brand and their partners is something we're going to definitely see continue. Mark Thompson, co-founder at Sports Rights Tech, gave this answer. I don't think that changes too much, right? But it's going to be more tactical. So I think in 10 years' time, we're still going to be wanting to leverage and utilise sponsorship to reach an audience that you can't otherwise reach. That, that will never change. The way that that audience is reached is what's changing and, the, and technology and understanding the rights and the ways of engaging with that audience and having specific segments of an audience that you try and own is what will be being asked of by brands to to rights holders. The, but the, the whole premise behind sponsorship will never change. The, the premise behind sponsorship is using a rights holder who has a trusted audience to borrow that audience, engage with that audience, to then own that audience yourself. That will never change. And finally, Jordan Rutner, Research Manager at Core Software. I think they'll want to be the first brand for that rights holder to be featured on a virtual reality broadcast. Virtual reality is starting up. It it has been around for a couple of years, but there are definitely going to be advancements where you can sit on your couch and then feel like you're courtside with the Lakers or with the Knicks. That being said, that's going to be a very expensive and sought after piece of technology. So let's, uh, let's see if the brands want to help make that happen. And finally, a nice big broad question, a blue sky thinking question, and of course, one that focuses on what so many touched on in their previous answers and an area so important to all sides of the industry, and that is data. And I asked, we are still 10 years into the future. How do you describe how data is being used in sponsorship on any side of the fence? Here's Stuart Ramsey, Head of Brand Partnerships at British Olympic Association. 
it will all be about personalization. It's going to be an augmented world. I don't believe the robots will take over Terminator-esque. You know, we will live amongst, you know, um, experiences that have that have robots, will have AI, that will have blockchain inserted into the heart of every part of our lives, but it will be personalized experiences. So understanding you're sitting into a stadium and you might have your wearable that's linked up to um, something so they know when you're getting excited, when you're not getting excited, when your heart rate goes up, when you're blah. So then you're going to be able to say, hey, you got super excited then, why don't you go and get product X or Y or why don't you come over this and come to the calm area and have a meditation because your heart rate was 150 for the last 25 minutes as, as your team was, was losing 2-0. We are going to genuinely know everything about how we feel, how we're reacting, and learn about that and be able to process out all of that data. So we are going to be able to then get that incredible experience. Again, I'll go back to, and I, and I just find it so ironic that the insurance world does this, is that when I go and do my insurance premium, like literally you change your answer by minute and some, suddenly something changes and something goes up. I think that hyper-personalization will happen into sports experiences and then brands will want to, to have that. Because if you imagine you're a CMO, you're buying everything, you're you know, a lot of your marketing will be this hyper-personalized, sometimes hyper-localized advertising over here. And then you move into sports and the same 28 different demographics you might have been able to create over the last few, you know, few months, for instance, gets to see your brand in the same logo and the same light in the same experience. It just doesn't make sense. And so that is where I think that this personalization is going to be. And, and look, some people would be um, are gonna not going to like it because of data privacy issues and things like that. But I'm, I'd quite like if I'm super stressed out at a game and they go, listen, you, you, need a, you need something strong. Come to the whiskey bar and get something, get 50% for whiskey. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I've been stressed. Let's do it. I was very, very lucky and privileged to watch Tom Daly and Matty Lee gold medal diving in Tokyo, managed to sneak in whilst there at COVID rules. And my heart rate got up to like, as if I was doing a workout, like I was so nervous. It was unbelievable. The atmosphere was electric and, and right there, my mouth was dry. Pop up a Coca-Cola water bottles down, you know, and I would have paid anything for, to, to drink something at that moment. So I think, I think that is gonna be a long-winded way and waffly answer is personalization of data is gonna be the future. And now, Catherine Butterworth, MasterCard's Marketing Director, Consumer, Partnerships and Sponsorship Marketing, Australasia. From what we're seeing today, the most significant change will be the individual's control over their personal data and what they choose to share with rights holders. So I'm saying that there's so many developments in the space, and obviously MasterCard, we have an example of this and we work in this space. So digital identity is our example of that, which is a reusable, shareable digital identity. So essentially all the information you have is controlled by you, the user on your device, and minimal data is exchanged. And once you set it up, and only with your consent, the digital ID safeguards data and only shares personal information that's required that you've chosen to share which is really interesting, right? Because then the power is back in, in the user and the fans' experience. And I think that type of innovation will foster a more disciplined use of data because it's about becoming more mindful of what data people have and how it's used. I think in terms of how it will be used, it will continue to improve the on-site experience, which is one of the things that everyone's doing now, reduced waiting times and digital content and understanding what matters, et cetera, like we spoke about. 
But I think the other piece that's going to be useful from that or meaningful from that is the sophistication of reporting and measurement. So I think really thinking about what data you need from people and how you're going to use it really puts the onus on being thoughtful about what reporting and measurement you're trying to provide to people or need to provide to people to demonstrate effectiveness and value of sponsorship marketing and being able to source meaningful data with people's opt-in um, and their, you know, their involvement in that data process will actually be quite powerful because it'll be very conscious data collection. So it sort of changes the purpose and the way data is collected and also how people feel about providing it and what they give to you and how you provide value back to them in exchange as a rights holder um, as a sponsorship property. I think that's going to be really interesting. But it's definitely going to be about that that individual first sense of how, what data they give you and then how you as a rights holder provide value back and use it to be to be meaningful. So for me, definitely reporting and measurement, that's one of those really, it's, it's the intangible part of making sure you can show the sponsorship does something really, really important and irreplaceable within the marketing mix. Next to answer is Michael Israel, Senior Account Director, Client Consulting and Services at GMR Marketing. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the technology advancements, particularly around data, is, is going to completely change how the attendees experience an event, how properties create sponsorship packages, and how brands reach their audience to drive impact. The more data teams have on their fans and their, their behaviors, the more they can offer a personalized experience, uh, leading to new ways for brands to engage with their target demographics. Um, the fans will have experiences that they want and engage with the, the team in, in, in new ways which could be much different from each other. It's all very personalized. So for sponsorship properties, knowing their customers as well as Google, Facebook, and other tech companies know us so well, um, provides massive advantage. Um, on the experience side, just focusing a, a little bit on a game experience. If I'm a brand like McDonald's, I don't have to give all 20,000 fans that attend a basketball game a voucher for a free, free hamburger um, as they do today. Instead, I can give kind of better rewards to the fans who I know are already my customers um, because I have their purchase history through the venue app or something like that. Um, and even better yet, I can have that voucher ping directly to the customer's phone as they walk past the McDonald's concession stand. So it's a surprise and delight, which really just creates a much more impactful brand engagement um, and much more meaning into the sponsorship. So the more people engage with the sports property, the more information that's collected, the better the user experience should be and the more business impact to the bottom line of the properties and the brands that sponsor them. That data is a massive business advantage in all aspects and the properties that invest in the technology, again, specifically on the experience side to maximize this will, will be the long-term business winners. Mark Thompson, co-founder at Sports Rights Tech, gave this answer. I would say data is actually being used for sponsorship finally. <laughs> I, I think people think they use data right now. But, you know, even when we, if you and I look back into sponsor, the amount of data that would pump through that system that was just not being leveraged or utilised by partners for insights to both sell to the right people, to report to partner success, to understand what other commercial opportunities were out there that we used to see and sort of our drawers had hit, hit the ground around how, why aren't these people using this to grow their business? And those same businesses would think that they were using data really smart. But I, I would say in 10 years' time, people will finally be using data, if you want me to give a straight answer. And finally, Jordan Rutner, Research Manager at Core Software. I think there's a really good opportunity to really experiment from this sponsorship point of view where in 10 years' time, 
we're going to have a lot of smart people in this world that have a lot of technology at their fingertips that grew up with it at some point. So in, in 10 years, the industry professionals will have had a cell phone or a computer in their lap for well over 90% of their life already. There's a good chance that they know how to read data. So I would really like to enjoy on maybe a couple sponsorships, not every single one of them, a rights holder or a brand, kind of figure out how to outsource um, some of the data and analytics and decision-making to the fans. If I'm a rights holder, I have my fans, I'm okay putting up a survey, a Twitter poll, um, or even offering a, a little bit of a glimpse into the front office here saying, hey, we're looking at a couple different partners. You're the fan. You're the one that's going to be buying the jersey, watching the TV, watching on streaming, television, and seeing the commercials of these brands. Is there anyone in particular that you want to hear more about? So like surveying the fans to see who they might want to partner with. Um, people are getting a lot, or people are choosing on their spending habits based on what the company stands for, not just the products. There are a lot of competitors out there for every single product. And if they agree with those companies' values, that could be really interesting for a rights holder to, to leverage the fans' knowledge instead of just everybody that's you know in the boardroom that day. Well, there you have it. Episode 102 and a look at the future of sponsorship in the third and final episode in this three-part series. I don't know about you, but I had a blast listening to all those super smart people, not just in this episode, but the previous two as well. So once again, thank you to all the guests across the three episodes for finding some time to come on the show and share their views with us. For you, the listeners, thanks again for joining us. And I look forward to you joining us next time when we move back into more of our traditional format. While I have you, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or a guest that you'd love to hear from, be sure to let me know. While lots of us are really, really well connected in the industry right around the world. I am actually totally fine with making cold contact with people and trying to get them on the show. So please, if you've got a great idea for a topic or a guest, please don't be shy with your suggestions. In the meantime, a reminder, if you'd like a shout out or if you just want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. And if you want to connect with Jordan Rutner, Research Marketing Manager and co-host of Cause Behind the Business of Sport podcast at Core Software, you can catch him on jordan.rutner at coresoftware.com or search for him on LinkedIn as well. That's Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, Rutner, R-U-T-N-E-R. That's a wrap for episode 102. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, eBooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.